0: Today's guest has been ministering and speaking internationally for the last decade. He's very active in social media as he encourages people on their spiritual journey. Phil has created the Grace Course the Deconstruction Network and has his own podcast show. And our chat with him
1: is coming up in just a moment. Hello and welcome to another episode of the ABBA podcast with John McDonald. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. John would love to hear from you. You can send comments and questions on Twitter at ABBA Podcast. You can also keep in touch through the Facebook page, the ABBA Podcast with John McDonald. Podcast episodes can be downloaded from Podbean, ABBA and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and many of the usual platforms. If the ABBA Podcast isn't on your favourite platform, let us know and we'll get it sorted. Here's your host, John MacDonald. Well, I'm delighted
0: to welcome Phil Drysdale to the ABBA Podcast. Welcome, Phil. Hi hi, good to be here. Really pleased to have you here, mate. Now we've known each other for a few years, a little bit, but many of the people listening won't know who you are. So mm. tell me, who is Phil
1: Drysdale?
2: <laughs> what an what an enigma. Just my accent, right? Um, oh yeah, I. <laughs> <Pin that down. laughs> you could have like a listener prize competition entry. You know, um, I don't know what <laughs> you do when a when a day uh, uh, you know at bubbles with John McDonald. Um, <laughs> <is> bubble <Bob laughs> still <a> thing? <laughs> I was trying to think of a fun day out in Scotland. Um, my childhood was not the most exciting. No, as the, I, the um, <laughs> um, I am Phil Drysdale. I don't know. I'm a bit of an enigma. I, um, I grew up in a Christian home. My, my parents were pastors, uh, born in Scotland. By the age of two, we were in England. We bounced around England quite a bit. London, the, um, kind of, um, Forest of Dean area kind of Gloucestershire that kind of bit and then up to Scotland again up in the central Belt, and then down to the borders kind of Dumfries and Galloway kind of area and then up to Aberdeen um I've lived over in America I've lived in Ireland I'm now presently in Manchester in England um so I have I've bounced around um it's, it's been a, and I'm just counting places I've been for like more than like you know four or five months at a time um but yeah I, i've really bounced um yeah,
3: nice. so yeah
2: and that's probably the accent I, I when i grew up i used to have this crazy like i was like a chameleon i remember my my parents when i lived in london they were my mum was quite like yeah okay sounds very like it sounds like a newsreader you know yeah, i had the generic <laughs> kind of accent in it, and she was like yeah i serve them well in life and then we moved back across to like um gloucestershire kind of area um, the forest dean and, like, literally, I came back from school day one, and I was like, ah, <laughs> and she was like, what the hell is this child saying? <laughs> um, but I, my accent had just become this whatever. And so that was me. and I, I became really Scottish when I moved to Scotland. Um, but then up in Aberdeen, it's a very, like, oil-based um, economy, or it was. And so I, uh, I ended up in an international church surrounded by Americans and, and oh. became very American. All the people I worked with were an American-Scottish blend, um, and so, yeah, it was just a weird blend that I ended up with, and then when I moved to America for basically four years, um, my accent became a lot more American, and now I, I don't know, it's a bit English, or I, I was married to an Irish woman for a few years, so I mean, it, it's a mess. Wow, <laughs> oh, so you <yeah. laughs> experience, eh? Yeah, yeah, well, I think a lot of it came from being a pastor's kid, but the pastor was a charismatic evangelist and and so he would he would get placed in these churches and he was quite young and i guess like they just like send you to whatever church um uh, you go to and yeah. um, most of the churches we went to were full of like old people that were very stuck in their ways like the way it was and my dad would come in but he's an evangelist and so he'd go out in the streets and he'd be saving people and doing all kinds of like amazing stuff and he'd show up on the sunday and the church had doubled you know and so you got all the old uh biddies in the back you know, with their their big hats and they're like you know dressed up and then like at the front would be you know like i don't know the town prostitute or that guy who who cheated on his wife eight years ago and now he's married to that hussy and you know all these kind of crazy like small town stories and they were outraged at my dad you know it's, it's like how many uh-huh. as, as a as a uh, as a christ follower one would hope that people would go, wow, that guy that cheated on his wife, and, you know, that's amazing, he's come to church. No, 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 it was like, okay. how dare you ruin our church, you know, and, and okay. so it was quite intense. I remember, I remember going
0: to, to speak somewhere many, many years ago, and it was like that, it was just all old folks, and, and I was kind of saying to to this lady, um, you know, do you ever have some of the young folks from around the area coming in? And she said, mm. oh, no, we don't want them to know we're here. <laughs>
3: I was just like, what the?
0: You know, I get saved out of gangs and all that kind of stuff. It yeah, was, yeah.
3: You, that's crazy.
0: We don't you probably wouldn't
2: have been welcome in that church, John. I don't think they'd be ready for you. Probably not. <laughs> so, so funny. Your Your dad was a
0: pastor, an evangelist, so what kind of church background do you have?
2: Well, we grew up in the Baptist church, which is, uh, you know, if people are, I'm assuming most of your listeners are from the kind of UK world or European, but I mean, um, if you're in America, Baptist means flood very flood kind flood of Like between the U- US and the rest of the world. Ah, okay. A lot from US. Um, so a lot of the US people here are Baptist and think Southern Baptist, fundamental, very conservative. But Baptist, generally speaking, is actually a lot more eclectic. It can look like a lot of things. And especially when you move to Europe, it, it really does look like a lot of things. And yes. that's just kind of, In America, there's lots of different Baptist movements, but most are kind of fringe if they're not kind of the the more Southern Baptist fundamental conservative. Um, so he was a charismatic, uh, and my mum was charismatic as well, but she was from Church of Scotland backgrounds. And so they're in this Baptist movement, and they love the charismatic stuff, but very rarely got to kind of overly explore. Occasionally, would be brave enough to do a healing meeting, and then like about four months later, there'd be a new pastor in place, and we'd be somewhere else. And this is where we moved along a lot because we upset people, you know, we um. Uh, I've no idea
0: what that's
2: like. No, no I can't imagine. <laughs> you know, and, and I have no idea. I don't know how they did it. I have not, that apple dropped and rolled miles away from the tree. Um, yeah, uh, right. but, uh, <laughs> um, but just crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, the first church they were in, um, people spat at my mother as she walked down the street with the pram, you she know, with sick. my sister and me walking along, toddling along, because the wow. they wanted them out because they were wow. messing with the church. And there was nice people in the church that loved us as well. But it was, it could be really hostile. And a lot of people don't see that side of church, which is really great, <laughs> you know, because hopefully yeah. it's not too common. You know, it's its fairly, uh, you know, like you're saying with a, a church full of old people that are like, oh, we don't want young people here. Generally speaking, that's pretty rare. Most old yes. people are going, how do we get young people in our church? We need to, f-, you know, and they'll like, I don't know, spray paint uh, uh, or uh, print out a big clip art of something cool, yeah. you know, or, you know, <laughs> and that's how you get the young people there. Or I don't know. Um but it, it was pretty intense and so growing up I had this kind of concept of churches full of old people they all hate you <laughs> um they're all like stuffy they don't really want anything relevant they don't like the young people they just want the young people to shut up you know like these yeah. little kids just be quiet and go in the corner and don't stick your head above the park and that was very much kind of my experience in most of the churches wow. um and a lot of it was kind of warped from a whole b- bunch of different perspectives as well but it just wasn't very relevant to me growing up, you know what I mean? It just, I was a teenager, you know, like, it's hard to get a teenager engaged in this stuff, generally speaking, um, never mind if the church becomes slightly, uh, you know, hostile. And there's no other youth, you know, I mean, when we were in churches, the entire youth group, the entire children's group was us and a few mates that we brought because, you know, we wanted it to be a little less boring and we had to go. Um, so, but I mean, wild things, you know, I could tell stories for days of like really crazy stories, Um but about sixteen, seventeen, my dad stopped being a pastor and went to be a chaplain um, up in Aberdeen, the port chaplain of, of the, basically the seafarers. And mm-hmm. he loved that because he was in the Navy before he got saved. Um, and the only reason he became a pastor is so he got miraculously healed of a stomach also. He was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and that's why he became quite charismatic, right? And so he went and trained and became a pastor. But this kind of combined his two loves. He, he loved being with seafarers, boats, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he loved the evangelism side of it. So suddenly he wasn't beholden to like keeping all the old biddies happy. He could just go on ships and chat with people and banter and get people saved and heal people or whatever he wanted to do. Um, but what it meant is we could go to any church we wanted. And so suddenly he was like, all right, I don't care even what they believe theologically over overly. Who's got the biggest youth group? Because he had four kids, and none of them were particularly engaged in Christianity. Uh, and I just turned sixteen, and my whole life, every single Sunday, the party line was Phil. I don't care if you don't want to go to church. You get to make that decision when you're sixteen, but we're not leaving you in the house on your own. My parents, by the way, gosh, I think Stalin would have let you live in your house on your own at fourteen, but my parents, no. Um, sixteen was the line, um, and so I turned sixteen around that time, and I was like, "Praise ye the Lord, who I'm not sure I even believe in." I'm not going to church anymore. Uh, my mom. Kind of was like, look, give it one shot. We're just moved. You know, this is a very different church. There's lots of people your age. Give it a shot and, and see what you think. And I was like, no. And She said, no, look. And I think she bartered with me. She gave me some sort of trade off. If I went, I'd get X. I don't know what it was. Probably something completely, you know, not a good trade, but I'm, I'm not a great tradesman. Um, went to this youth group, and it was full of really good-looking girls, John. Oh, And that was I, it. I, I stayed. I, I did not <laughs> stay for Jesus. I did not stay for Jesus, but it was about 100 youth. Um, lots of girls my age. I was not someone that spent any time around girls. Uh, I was not someone that spent many time around, around humans, to be honest. I spent all my time <laughs> in my bedroom. Um, but that kind of suddenly introduced me to a Christian. It was relevant, you know? I suddenly was like, wow, these people really, th- like, they believe this stuff. They're singing and putting their hands up in the air and stuff. And, and it kind of drew me in um, that oh. these people were fun, interesting, they liked me, they were nice to me, but they loved this kind of Jesus stuff as well. And so I I, I kind of, like, Dived in. I became quite passionate about it all. Um, over time, I transitioned and I went. You'll you laugh at this. So, this was a international Baptist uh, church. It was still Baptist, believe it or not. Very kind of generic. It, it wasn't, you wouldn't have been able to pigeonhole it into any kind of thing. It was just a non, felt like a non denominational generic kind of church. Um, but after a while, I was like, you know what? There's another youth group in town and those people are really serious. And so, I moved to the ex brethren church. <laughs> Which was serious. They were serious, right? They they, they believed what they believed. You know, like they had a service in the morning where men and women sat on opposite sides of the room. Um, you know, it was it was serious. Um, but I loved how seriously they took the, the, the word of God and they yeah. were really intense and they would really took this stuff seriously. And I there was something about that I loved. Um and so this is about eighteen nineteen, I've moved out of the house, I'm running my own business actually I'd probably run my business in about a year or so but i was working in in it in the industry so i was kind of getting a bit more freedom a bit more autonomy and i felt that that was probably part of why i moved as well i didn't want to be oh that's howard and ann's kids you know in church how everyone has their identity and most yeah. people it's who they're related to but i kind of wanted to go to a church where i was just oh that's phil you know he's an it guy or he's the 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 doofy guy the funny idiot you know or whatever or he's the but at least it wasn't like, oh, he's related to that person, and that's really yeah. the person we all know. Um, so I think that was, it was a bit of finding myself and stuff involved in that. Um, but I did that for a while, and I loved it. I, I got really passionate about the Bible and stuff, but um, it didn't really click for me. Like I, I, There was that charismatic side that I see my parents in, and I wanted some of that. And so eventually, talk about swings, you know, pendulum swings. I then decided I'm going to go to Bethel in California, Bethel, um, mm church and they have a school called the school <clears throat> of supernatural ministry and so that's basically um if you were to list down what makes a, Be- a brethren church brethren and then you literally just wrote the opposite on another column you'd have written down the description for bethel school of supernatural ministry <laughs> it was wildly opposite um it was still you know probably widely kind of evangelical and uh, and very similar in a lot of ways but to my mind, I was like, this is the most radical thing I've ever done. And so I moved to California. I lived over there for four years. I was heavily involved in that, and I loved it. And out of that, I started to, while I was there, I just started to question a lot of things of, well, this is all great. I think Bethel was the first place that taught me, like, you're, you're good. Your nature changed when you got saved. You're now inherently good. And that was a real shock to me. I'd been taught that we were sinful, evil, rotten people, yeah. and we had to kind of just kind of keep powering through hope that God doesn't see you for who you are and he constantly yeah. just sees Jesus kind of standing in the way like a weird cardboard cutout you know blocking you know, we're, us from
0: he saw his clothes
2: <laughs> yeah there you go don't take your Jesus off you'll be dust um but but they just introduced me to a God who is truly good and and that you yourself is a saved person that was their clause of course you have to be saved first yes. but we're a good person Um, and and that just started to unravel things because the thing is as much as I love Bethel and I think they're great they didn't take that to its conclusion you know so God is good but then there was still questions of like okay but why are we working our asses off to please God then or why is he so upset if I do x or y or why doesn't he let this type of person in the church or you know or why do why does he let so many great people burn in hell for literally eternity like we're not talking like uh, Sheila, who cheated on her taxes and was generally a nice person, but because she cheated on her taxes and she didn't say a prayer, she's going to burn for trillions and trillions and trillions and zillions of years. And, like, you know, we're like 680 zillion years in, and God's like, nah, we're just warming up. Sorry, lady, you should have said that. Pr-. I mean, to me, I was just like, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> and so there's this, these questions I had in the midst of that, that I was starting to unravel and I started to explore other up- Options, you know, looking at different Orthodox positions historically yeah. that maybe were a little bit outside of the box for most evangelical Christians, but generally speaking, were quite okay for a lot of Christians throughout history. They had different views on what God's nature was, who we were as humans, yes. maybe things like the afterlife and things like that. That's been discussed for the last 2,000 years. We don't like to bring up those discussions, uh, we like well, to just talk about what we believe.
0: Well, I, I, I can believe when I, I began to look at some of these unorthodox theology. Mm. And half of what we believe in the West, they don't believe in the East. Yeah. You know, and a lot of people would say that they, a lot of their thinking is, is more directly linked to the the, the early church fathers. That, yeah. that's, that really surprised me that a lot of what we believe in the West isn't a universal worldwide thing. You know?
3: yeah.
2: Well, there were so many factions. If you look at the early church in the first couple hundred years, where We're only bit by bit kind of getting introduced to this as we discover more like Gnostic texts and things like that. That term can work and doesn't work a lot of the time. But we discover lots of these ancient texts that were were used as um, spiritual wisdom texts to lead Christians that were Christian communities. What's interesting is um, it's really only because the group of texts and the group of beliefs um, that existed largely today in the West um, the reason they exist is they were the ones that people held in Rome. <laughs> you know, the the ones that were held outside of Rome didn't get a say in the matter, <laughs> because Rome was the one that came, held all the synods and and, and the creeds and, and established all these things. And so you did have like pretty weird fringe Christian beliefs. And, and, and so the, the Western church is what it became, the Catholic church, which then became the Protestant church and all of that, all came from this group kind of in Rome and a few mm-hmm. bits around it came out of that, even the Bible that we have came out of yes. that grouping yeah. um, but there, there was other texts and they were like, mm, not that, we'll pick this not this, we'll have that um, and so it, it just kind of shows how how fascinating um, how, how much history can be shaped just by a decision being made in a certain town I, mean, I, I, I love history, I always have
0: um, but it's incredible how many people don't realise that a lot of what we believe today was developed, perhaps only over the
2: last few 100 years oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. some some theologies are brand new yeah. really really modern like i mean the rapture is a couple hundred years old the concept of um uh the, the idea of purity culture you know not sleeping with someone yep. you know all that kind of stuff that's only a couple hundred years old as well and really only became popular about 60 70 years ago oh. um, which is fascinating same with
0: inerrancy of scripture I mean,
2: Mm -hmm. very new. I I don't know how
0: accurate it is, but but I I did, I read an article that said that really that was just a group of guys at Princeton University who came up with that idea, Mm. propagated it, and suddenly it's
3: the dominant perspective of of scripture. You know, the Bible's inerrancy, it's incredible.
2: And and it makes sense to have, you know, when you are in a, I was talking about this yesterday on my podcast with someone, we, we talk about how there's structures, there's certain structures that thrive on very black and white options and 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 being able to feel safe and certain and secure and a lot of us that's what we're looking for from religion yes. we want to feel safe we want to feel certain we want to feel secure and so in those structures they tend to buy into all kinds of things that are more likely to increase their safety certainty and security and so we were talking about it, it this person had come out of kind of a cult background um and then they'd become a teacher and because she was volunteering full-time for this cult, and she she became a teacher And she's sitting there in the school and she's like, suddenly realizing they're having this huge meeting and they're getting like this pep talk rally. And she's like, Oh my God, I've joined another church. They're so black and white, so fundamental. And we were talking about these structures that are there to help create safety, certainty, security, which is what, you know, young teenagers need um, a lot of the time. Um, They're so easy to co-opt. You can bring in an idea and it will flourish in that environment. And so church is a place where certain things will flourish and and something of an authority that, that tells you what to do and how to do yeah. it will flourish in that environment. And that's why when you look at the statistics of pastors and leaders, excuse me, there is a massive increase in how many narcissists are pastors yeah. compared to how many narcissists are the average human. Um, it's just a completely different number, you know? Um, but it's not that um, pastoring makes you a narcissist. It's that pastoring is a, is a role that welcomes in a narcissist, someone that is that kind of position. Um, it's it's just a natural byproduct. Um, it's interesting,
0: isn't it? Yeah. You're, you're talking about those structures because the, the things that feed the structures of the systems actually prey upon basic human needs of acceptability, mm. of belonging, of security. You know, it it kind of preys upon those things. Absolutely, It's really, it's, really it's,
2: it's a warped, twisted component of something that's very healthy and good. You know, yeah. we all need that. You look at any kids as they're growing up, they need some of that and in certain stages, yeah. right? And uh, we, we want them to grow up and evolve and become more independent as they as they move on, most of us. Um but you know, we want them to go through those stages, but that stage can be really abused. And you see that in parenting. Some parents really abuse that that um that capacity for a child to just be looking yeah. for some sort of safety well, and security.
0: Yeah, there's a difference between guiding someone through something, isn't there, and controlling yeah. their, their behavior. Their Absolutely. There's a real
2: I don't know if it's a great difference, but there is a line where you cross from guidance into control.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, well, sometimes I think on the outside it looks the same. Uh, I think even at times it, it's, it's it's an internal kind of reality that exposed uh, exposes where some people are. I think a lot of times it looks very different as well. I think, so think I've certainly seen both. <laughs> so do you think the
0: difference between the the guidance and the, the control is is a heart issue then, uh, a condition
2: of heart? I'd say so. Either believer I think, or not believer, is it immaterial, but just the, the condition of that person's yeah. heart? I think generally speaking, it's the intention of love and, and um, freedom for the other person. Uh, I think it can look very different. I mean, I, I think we've all seen someone and gone, whoa, that is not healthy. And we've seen other things and gone, that looks really healthy and I'm pretty confident it is. Without really, we never know the person's intent, yes. right? I mean, people can tell you their intent, but we never really know. Right. um. So it's a tough one to diagnose, you know, you can't diagnose internal issues, generally speaking, you, you have to wait for people to be able to do that themselves. And sometimes we're not able, we're, we're no. just not in the place. And, um, and that's the sort of thing you have to, to wait to feel out and see kind of unravel anyway. Just kind of exploring these concepts and just seeing, oh gosh, like even things like we we're talking about, like, you know, scripture is the way it is because of some, generally speaking, random people that were in a random area that made a random decision. Um, and it is, when you look through, like, kind of their their the the cliff notes of the meeting, you know, it does feel a little, rat. It was like, well, oh, should we put this in? Nah, maybe there's some books that almost got in. And we look at those as the utter heresy, like, the most evil books that you could ever imagine. And they were, like, this close to getting in. And then other books that you're like, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. We were really close to not including them because a bunch of people were like, oh, that's heresy.
0: That's the thing, isn't it? Especially... In the beginning, it was very political, the whole thing, as well, especially once yeah. Constantine kind of, like, made Christianity legitimate. Almost yeah. it, it became much more, just the church became a, a political um, marketplace for yeah. ideas and, and it wasn't so much the theology that was being promoted, but the rulership
2: of individuals mm-hmm. or groups of people that
0: were being yeah. propagated then.
2: It became a mechanism for the Roman Empire. Like One of the most obvious ways to see this is you can look through ancient texts. We, we have quite a bit of writing from the first couple of centuries before um, Rome kind of became the kind of movement that church uh, was attached to. And there's never any qualification of any violence being allowed. It's just not allowed. The, the early church was radically nonviolent. Yes. Too mm-hmm. like. To a fault in some people 's opinion, like it was radically it, to the degree that it, it, there's an, one of the earliest church documents we have um, it 's called the dedicate and it's, yep. it's that is the earliest church document it 's much earlier than any of the gospels or in that and, and in it, it, it in some translations of it and some, some copies of it, it seems to suggest that if you are a soldier. You must renounce being yes. a soldier to get saved. You can't. You can't even be a soldier. And there was even questions in the early church of if you have been a soldier, can you be saved? So we talk about that, right? It's kind of funny today because we're like, oh. oh, you know, like even if you're a, you know, a pedophile or a murderer or anything, like you, you can get saved and cleaned. But the early church was going, oh, yeah! But he served a term in whatever, you know, like um, it was a really, really huge deal for the early church. Now, once the Roman Empire takes over. Christian. I mean, how did the Roman Empire become the Christian nation? Well, the story is that it was all because the, God gave them a ba- battle and they won because they placed the cross. And all saw the cross in the sky and all that. Exactly. Yeah. Whether that's real or not, or it's, it's certainly a very good it's um, I know, I know
0: Const- Constantine gets a hard time for that. You know, I mean, I remember writing an essay at Bible school mm. uh, about how awful Constantine was because he did this. But actually, he just did what all of the other rulers of the age
2: did. They adopted the God We give them victory. Yeah, absolutely. And we all do that. Who are we kidding? If your name is Sally and you're 50 years old and you're a Christian, odds are you're a Christian because God gave you victory. Whether it was he got my life sorted out, whether it is I'm going to get to go to heaven and not go to hell, whether it is uh, he you know helped me and my family or whatever. We're all doing this in a tit-for-tat dynamic to some degree, right? (laughs) No No one's going, oh, that's the absolute God. We'll follow him even if he's a monster and he ruins my life no one signs up for that one you know mm. um, so at some <laughs> level we all do that you know i think it, yeah. i think you're right we, we demonize someone for operating in the world that they knew that's how gods worked back then is the gods gave you victory and the god yeah. and, and you would switch and change your god as well yeah. if, this god's not working anymore we're losing battles that god seems to win let's go and join his crowd yeah. that's i mean that's the story of the old testament right they're constantly doing that that's why they're constantly up a mountain burning well, that, kids yeah. at a totem or
0: that's kind of how it worked when I ran with gangs in the seventies.
2: <laughs> you burning kids
3: at
0: totems as well? We're we always getting beaten up. Let's join them.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's just human nature, isn't it? We want to be on the winning team. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So it, it's just a it's just a fascinating dynamic that we can see shift and change. Um, doesn't mean that they weren't right. Doesn't mean that whatever you know, I mean, like I think that's the thing that we are so we're so anxious about hearing how our faith has changed over the years because we we have this idea that there was an absolute right time where everyone had the right idea, and if we just know that one thing, and hopefully it's me and my church today, um, but if it was someone else, I'll just believe what they believe. But you look at the early church, there's so many factions, and they're all bickering with each other. What? Even the New Testament is largely a bunch of bickering about different groups of believers and how they're talk, talk, calling each other false prophets and apostates and all kinds of things. Like, it, it, We've always been like this. We've always been trying to figure it out. Can you see even that in the uh, Old Testament, even. I don't think Moses was right. And it's like, wait, well, This is happening in the Bible? Jeremiah's critiquing Moses? Can you do that? Yeah. Feels like pretty big deal. You know? oh. um, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, so that's kind of what I was going through in this Bible school. Is I'm going through seeing all these challenges and, and going through these questions myself. And, mm. and from that, I started writing, started blogging, started putting things on social media. This is probably 2010, 11. And I started traveling. So I started traveling around the world and speaking in churches and conferences. And in doing that, what's interesting is, you'll notice as someone that travels and speaks, there's a dynamic where people will trust you a lot more than their pastor. Um, Mm -hmm. So they come up to you at the end and they're like, listen, John, I'm really struggling. I don't know if I believe in in, uh, violence. I don't know if I believe in hell. I don't know if I believe in the inerrancy of scripture or I'm not sure. I've got a gay son and I don't see it being a problem or whatever it is. And people would confide in me these things. And a lot of them were really struggling with church, how church works, the theology of their church. Um, and it woke me up to the fact that this is a huge thing, oh, yeah. really huge. Everywhere I went, I was speaking to dozens of people, and sometimes the church was only a dozen people. Um, you know, everyone's going, I'm not really sure what's going on here. And you would stay with people, and you'd be up to them, one in the morning chatting with them, and they are questions and questions and questions and questions, that they don't feel safe asking their pastor or their leaders because you can't ask those questions. When, when it's
0: black and white like that, you can't be honest in that, mm. in that environment. You can't be honest and say, I have doubts, or I have queries, or I have—I actually don't agree with that yeah. because that makes you the outcast.
2: Yeah. Well, you go from being in the black to immediately going in the white. There's no gray area to exist. Yes, in that I,
0: I, and so that—that that again is part of that system preying upon basic human needs to be accepted yeah. and to belong. Um, in order to feel those things, you have to do what I say. You have to believe what I believe. Yeah. It's,
2: it's quite dangerous. No, it is. It really is. And so I guess. In that, I found that there are, if you look at the, ch- the global church, there's a pastor for everyone and their mum who's quite happy with the church and quite happy with the theology. And there's lots of people that are there, and that's great. I really love when people's religion works for them and helps them connect with the divine, connect with themselves and with others and, and live in a healthy spiritual wholeness. Um, but there's a lot of people that aren't feeling that, and they've got these questions, and they're waiting for the next visiting speaker so they can kind of just grill them with some questions and, you know, or whatever. And there's not many pastors for those people. Um, and, and they feel very lonely, very isolated. They don't know who it's safe to talk to about these things, you know, because if I talk to Jeff, who I'm quite close friends to, and I tell him that I I'm, I'm, don't actually have a problem with my gay son or whatever it is, well, what if Jeff does have a problem with that, and then he tells the pastor, and then that comes out, and it's a big issue, and, I have, and I'm no longer allowed to be a, a worship leader or a kid's pastor or whatever I am, you know. It's all these dynamics yeah. that people are just desperately needing someone to walk with them in this. And so... Maybe. I kind of transitioned quite hard from where I was yeah. um, in that I was going into churches, teaching what I believed, being very black and white and like, hey, here's what I believe. Sometimes that was different. and It moved people in a certain direction. Sure. But I decided, you know what? I'm going to stop teaching what I believe because that's not massively important. And I'm going to start helping people figure out what they believe. Mm-hmm. And actually, them believing what I believe is not important either. Because what I was finding in all of this was God lived in the gray anyway. God didn't really care about the black and white because ultimately even our black is grey and our white is grey anyway. We have we not uh, figured out the absolutes of these two options anyway.
0: If you Sorry. find yourself in a place of mystery, that's probably where God is.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, you'll see shadows of him in the black and white but when you come into that place of mystery, that's where he is. Because yeah. how, how can we know God? If God really is infinite and we're not, how can you ever truly probably know him.
2: There yeah. must be elements of mystery. Absolutely. Well God is infinite, it's it's ineffable. It's it's like a toddler with some crayons trying to draw the sunrise. You know, it's like you will be able to probably tell at the end, go, Oh, I drew a sunrise. It's not a sunrise though, is it, let's be honest. No. <laughs> You'd be terrified if that came up over the horizon. The trick, the trick is Phil, you don't say,
0: Oh that's you say,
2: Tell me about your picture There you go. Eke it out, <laughs> eke it out. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, this is like, I mean, we are trying to describe the ineffable. We're trying to describe that which cannot be described that is bigger and and broader than anything. And and this is a concept of Jesus that he comes to reveal the invisible God that we're guessing about. Um, And even then, we've got 40,000 denominations in the Protestant movement that tell you different things about who Jesus is. So even that didn't particularly work at the end of the day. Um, And so we're we're definitely living in gray. And, And to me, I'm like, this is where God is. And this is where I want people to. Feel free to move and to grow and to develop. And so I I shifted into doing that full time, really, and and spent very little time now, almost no time telling people, oh, this is what I don't really believe that people should believe a certain thing or be at a black and white point. To me, I'm just as happy if you have no idea what's going on and you're just trying to be honest and authentic about it and move forward. I think that's a really healthy and good, humble position. Um, I think God respects that a lot more than being the Pharisee. that goes, oh no, I've figured it all out, and let me tell you. Right? I mean, what an arrogant position that I, I was for years and years.
0: <laughs> I, I used to know everything there was to know about God. I've just I've mm. most of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously you've you talked about what you're doing now. You're, you're helping people to figure out where they are in relation to God and, and ideas about God. N- now, I've heard a term for what you're doing, uh, some people call it deconstruction, what What does that actually mean?
2: Sure, I mean, it's, uh, terms and labels are so problematic, because they immediately put people in categories, right, you throw out a term, oh, you're a Tory, you're a, you're a d- Democrat, you're a whatever, you know, you're who knows, a Baptist, you know, and we immediately go, oh, I know who you are now, and we don't have to get to know the person anymore, right, we can just put them in our little box of what we think yeah, they are, Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of times it can be problematic, but generally speaking, this whole movement has had a whole bunch of different labels over the years, and deconstruction seems to be one that, that uh, clicks with a lot of people, they, they seem to want to identify with it, I don't really care what people call themselves or which labels they identify, uh, from a, a technical uh, perspective, I, I work with uh, research in this group as well. I'm working with a UK company doing IDO research, doing research on the deconstruction movement. Why are people oh. leaving churches? When, when do they leave churches? How long? Why? When? Where? How, you know, everything and anything we're trying oh, to e-count like e- and, of that and engage with. you on their own? Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. And, and we're continually doing that. That's going to be years and years and years to oh. get out the overall, like, here's some real core data of, Based on years That's of study, but we've got some bits and pieces here and there. Um, I always post a lot of data and research on um, on my Instagram if people are interested. Um, but there's three markers of deconstruction. So uh, deconstruction is basically a philosophical term um, mm-hmm. that has then been applied in this concept in world of faith. Um, but deconstruction requires three things. It requires that you ask questions and have doubts of core underlying values of what you believe. So we're not talking um oh i used to believe that uh, god would come back in the 80s but now i believe he'll come back in the 30s you know it's like all right that's not deconstruction that's you might question some things but and you might change some things but that's not deconstruction that's that's not a core kind of component of faith it, it, we're talking things like is there a god well mm-hmm. did jesus rise from the dead well, is God really like what the Bible says? You know, some really fundamental, really core values that you would probably have had. If you look back five years ago and you go, oh, I would have never questioned this kind of stuff. That's not allowed. Um, So the questioning has to be of like real core values. Um, You think of deconstruction. If I changed all the windows in my house, you wouldn't say, oh, he deconstructed his house. You'd say, he took the windows out and he put new ones in, right? You know what I mean? like, uh, Whereas if I knocked the house down and rebuilt it and there were some new windows, you'd say, no, he, he deconstructed his house, you know, there was some, some stuff went down there. Um, and so it is, it's a very, it, we're talking um, major work to the house, yeah. uh, deconstruction. We're talking tearing down some walls, you know, ripping off the roof and, sure. and stuff like that. Um, the second component is that you then have to change those core values. So it's not just that you question something. If you question something and then you go, no, oh, yeah, I'm, that's right, I agree. That's fine. I mean, I encourage people to question their ideas. And if they come to the conclusion, no, I'm right, that's wonderful. It's really good. Um, That's good questioning gone well. Um, But if you find out, "Uh, no, that's nonsense, I don't believe it. Well, you're then going to go through some process of changing, either just discarding that and hoping that you figure out something on the way or you maybe grab a hold of a new idea straight away and go, this is it. This is my new idea. Um, That's a key component to deconstructing. The third part, and this is a part that a lot of people miss, and this is a key component to the philosophical concept of deconstruction, um, is that there must be an increase in uncertainty about your faith and spirituality. Mm -hmm. So if you come away from deconstruction more certain, you actually haven't deconstructed, you've just upgraded, you know, which is a great thing, it's a good thing. But generally speaking, and this is what I find in most humans as we grow up, right? You go talk to most old people and you tell them a black and white, this is the way the world works. Most of them are going to smile and go, that's really sweet. Yeah, (laughs) I I, I totally agree. And and then they mumble to their partner, just wait till he grows up and realizes nothing is that. It's black and white and it's a bit more Uh gray and we can't be so certain about these things. And and, and not all, there's plenty of old people that are black and white and very dualistic, but but there's an element of as we grew up, we learned things aren't so black and white as when we were maybe in our teens and we were telling our parents, I know best. And I tell you, I, know, I figured it out. And then we grew up and we realized, oh, God, my parents. I'm so sorry. Yeah.
0: Um, well, I've, I've apologized to my mom for a lot when I was a teen. Oh,
2: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I hear you. Um, so there's a key component as well in the deconstruction process that we come away going, I'm not as sure about things as I used to be. And I'm and I'm okay with that. I mean, you might not be okay with that as well. But generally speaking, as time goes on, you become more okay with being a little uncertain. Mm-hmm. It's not to say you you say you question is there a God, okay? And then you go, yeah, God is like this because the Bible says this and this and this and this and this. And you go, ah, some of that doesn't add up, and so you change them place. Well, yeah, there is a God, but He's not like an angry God in the sky that will nuke you if you touch the ark. Um, so but but then you, but then. You come away going, yes, so I've changed my views on God. And I, and I do believe in a God, but I think he's better than I thought he was. I think he's more gracious. I think he's more loving. I think he's more kind. But in the whole process, for deconstruction to be present on some level, you also go, and there's a bit of me that's become a lot more humble, realizing I didn't know then. And I've got a new idea. But you know what? I'm going to hold it a bit lighter than I held the last idea. Yeah. Because I don't know. Who am I to say I know? Um, and, and a lot of people don't do that a lot of people go away storm ahead go i figured it out everyone i know i did that's how i grew <laughs> i grew up I, was like, I got the idea guys i'm here i'm returning every year to tell you why last year i was wrong and i've got a new idea that's even better <laughs> um that was my itinerant ministry in a nutshell um but so that's that's doable it's fine and that's okay it's not even a bad thing it's just not necessarily deconstruction but generally speaking a lot of people as they go through this process especially if you start doing it every year you start realizing, okay, maybe I should be a little less arrogant, a little bit more humble, and hold these things a little less close to my chest. Um, And so generally speaking, that's the the concept. But this, it has lots of terms. There's concepts of uh, church refugees, nomads, nuns, duns. There's lots of different terms that are used to describe this group. And different people in different parts of the world, in different movements. Um, coming out of different movements tend to gravitate to different terms. And so some people might never have heard deconstruction or some people hear deconstruction and go, oh, I'm not doing that, I'm a, I'm a nomad or I'm a, I'm a nun or a dun. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't realize that there's actually a lot of overlap in these kind of concepts. Uh-huh. Not necessarily always, you know, a lot of people in our research, we find some really interesting stuff. So people used to conflate de-churched, which is people that leave church, yeah. with deconstructed. And what's interesting is that we found that 34% of people that deconstruct remain in churches, which is a huge number right, to me. It, it, it shocked me. And I worked with this group for about 10 years now, and I was shocked. <laughs> I've, I've talked to thousands and thousands of people and helped them on their journey, and I was shocked by that percentage. Um, so a third of, a third, a third. A third of people yeah. remain in church. Yeah. You now, what's in, what will be interesting, and this is something you can only find over long-term study, is how many of those people that remain in church are early deconstructing, so just starting to deconstruct, mm-hmm. and they will continue to deconstruct and get to a point where they're like I can't do church. That might be possible. That's a theory of mine that I, I think there will be some correlation. We, we did some. We did a study on. There's a metric called religious um, faith development um, score, and it's a, a metric um, designed by a whole bunch of different um, researchers over a few decades where they can measure how. Um, how much you have grown in faith and how advanced in faith you are. Now, there's quite a complex backstory and lots of papers you have to read to understand how they went about that. But to skip to the end and say, actually, one of the things they found was the more developed you are in your faith and your your structure of faith, the less likely you are to attend church. Mm -hmm. Um, So people that had a high score almost never attended church, which is really fascinating. There is, however, like a curve, and so as you grow in your faith, you, you, you do see people who don't attend church or aren't part of these religious institutions start to become more attached to. And it's not this metric. It works for Muslims. It works for all sorts of different things. But as people become more and more and more involved in their faith, because what we find generally speaking is people tend to become quite static in their faith. Right? This is the problem. Uh, Pete Enns talks about the sin of certainty. Uh, Greg Boyd talks about this as well. And he talks about the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. And the problem with certainty is you never can grow, right? You can't grow in your faith. You can't find out new things about God and and develop if you go, Well, I already know about God. I don't need God to tell me something new about him. I know about God. Um, And so, actually, it's only those that open up to uncertainty, open up to doubt, ask the questions. Those are the people that will continue to grow in their faith. And so, a lot of people go up that bell curve and then just stop and they don't grow in their faith. But people that do grow in their faith often come out of church. Now, it's not to say anything negative of church, it's just to say that. Church, generally speaking, is built for the people in the belt, in, in, in the curve, at mm-hmm. the top. Um, and so it's not be- built for people that aren't Christians. Right? It's built for people that aren't Christians to become Christian and, and live a good Christian life. But it's also not built for people that start questioning some of the core elements of Christianity and growing and, and growing beyond maybe some of the boxed in components of what God mm-hmm. can look like and the faith can look like. So there's all sorts of diff- interesting data about these kind of uh, things for sure um but oh. it's an interesting world and, and it's the fastest growing religious uh, or spirit i don't want to say religious so it's probably not fair it's the fastest growing spiritual movement in the west oh. is people deconstructing their faith whether they use that term or not uh, and so just i don't have the data on, on the uk unfortunately but in america the data is that two thousand seven hundred people every day leave the church and that's not like to go find another church that's a permanent i am done with church However, 78% of them, so about just over 2,000 of them, all maintain that they have some form of spirituality still and are growing in their spirituality. So it's only about 20% or so that are saying, oh, no, I've, I've left my spirituality or I've mm-hmm. fallen away. Because that's a, a lot of the rhetoric people will say is go, oh, People that deconstruct, they, they, they've just lost their faith. They, they back, weren't seriously in their faith, backslidden. Yeah. And the data, the data isn't there. In fact, there was a great study done by um, Packard and Hope in 2015 uh-huh. um, where they studied people that had left the church, a huge meta-study of thousands of people. And they, they tried to, they had a few ideas of why people left church, and they were good conservative Christians. So it turned out none of their ideas were true. One of them was, oh, people leave church because they're hurt. You ever heard that? Mm -hmm. that's a big one right they couldn't find one person in the thousands of people they interviewed that left church because they were hurt and actually people remain in church when they're hurt so it's not it's hurt isn't actually the factor and nobody got hurt and left church most people got hurt tried and tried and tried and tried to make church work and eventually left but generally speaking people left church because they grew beyond their church that was the major metric Then you go, oh, people that left church, well, they weren't serious about their faith. Well, again, the opposite is true. If you get people that leave church and deconstruct any of these kind of terms, nomads, nuns, and you look at them, say you grabbed 100 of them, and then you grabbed 100 people who are in churches, and you said, okay, let's look at church attendance. People that left church attended church more. Let's look at how involved you were. People that left church are more likely to be full-time volunteers, part-time volunteers, or even staff, pastors, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, much more likely to be elders much more likely to be deacons if you look at a hundred group maybe there's like thir- i don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head but maybe there's 30 elders if you look at a hundred group of the average church maybe there's like two elders you know what i mean it's, wow. it's a very different metric um so we we look at like these things and we we, we very quickly i think it's a protection mechanism but we look at people that leave and go oh they weren't serious oh they didn't really believe you you tell me this guy didn't believe he was a pastor or you know like they they went four times a week and volunteered in like eight different ministries you know um you can't say they didn't have faith and also it's kind of like you're kind of like ragging on yourself right because you're like oh this person was in my church for 30 years but they didn't really believe i'm like what were you doing uh, <laughs> <the, laughs> your know, like, ministry wasn't good, very good then <laughs> no <laughs> Um, so I think there's a lot of myths surrounding this concept yeah. as well. Like, uh, and a lot of people are scared because there's a lot of publicity, a lot of pastors and different people are very outspoken about this. Uh, yes. Brian Houston just uh, two days ago, I think four or five days ago, um, posted a thing and said, oh, when people leave the church, it just shows they never really believed in God anyway. And I'm like, what an arrogant, uh, well, you know, Brian, I'm sure he's a great guy. I just uninformed, you know, a lot of people don't know this data. This data. But it's a very arrogant position to assume that you know someone else's faith. But for um, me, the, the thing I've come to is
0: is actually the problem is that the system is broken. That's that's the problem. But but it's difficult to recognise that because if we admit that, if we acknowledge that, then it reflects back upon me. those of us who have been pastors who have been upholding the system, if you like. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, no one likes to be a part of something that's broken. No. no. One. No, and so it's difficult for people to admit, you know what, the system is broken. We are so far on, and it's, you know, every generation shifts a little bit, and it yeah. seems like we've shifted just too many degrees off of the course that Jesus and those early disciples set.
2: Yeah, and and the thing is, though, is, well, John, I will say, I, people people assume I hate the church or I'm anti-church, but actually I'm a big advocate for the church, because... um. I think we need to understand that there's there's stages of growth in in humans. You know, we grow in, in stages. And um, one of the main stages that humans go through is is often called um, traditional or conformist stage. And it is the stage where you're looking for safety, certainty, and security. And the vast majority of um, people the last kind of couple hundred years have, generally speaking, not got beyond that stage. That's the stage that most of humans kind of got to and then just sat, sat down. And that stage gives us... Um, leadership, governments, police, um, schools, churches. It gives us a lot of safety, certainty, and security. It's a good stage. I'm glad civilization got to that stage. And even on an internal level, just in our day-to-day lives, that's a good stage to have. Have you met people that haven't got to that stage yet? Think of your crazy teenager slamming doors and screaming and rebelling, or, or maybe your toddler just yelling, no, 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 all the time. It's a it's this world of narcissism, it doesn't care about the group, it only cares about itself. It's angry, it's aggressive. <laughs> I was going to say, I've met a few adults like that, but I think I've been an adult like <laughs> that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, some of them are in charge. Um, there's this component of um, natural progression and growth, and so we need stages. Like a great example of this so, this this stage, um, this traditional stage, the stage before it is often known as warrior stage, right? So, again, talking to toddlers and teenagers, warrior stage, right? Um, but um. The stage after it is called um, modern, and it's postmodern, it's integral. There's yeah. kind of a, quite a few stages that we grow through, um, if we're if we're lucky and <laughs> intentional enough. Um, what's fascinating is if you uh, there was some studies done. This really fascinating. So if you look at churches that are a traditional stage, you think of an average conventional Christian church. that's quite black and white. Just you know does its thing. You know has a outreach. Has the you know holiday club at summer for the kids. It's got prison outreach. It's got you know whatever. And it. It's a great church and most people work in that environment, but the people we're talking about, maybe these people, the it's just not going to work. They have to move on. Well, some of these people that move on go and find more kind of progressive, progressive bit of a loaded term because there is the progressive church, but that kind of works, right? You, you would have like a church that's more progressive It go, well, actually, we're not sure about some of these black and whites. We're kind of open to right. LGBTQ. We're not sure about the afterlife as much as other people are. So you would think that this kind of um, quote-unquote more evolved or next stage um, of of Christianity, as it could be seen, um, this new idea, new concept, would be better than the old version. They've done studies on this, and one of the things they did is they went into prisons. Now, prisons are full of people that are at warrior stage. Mm. right i mean that's pretty normal right people that are very yeah. narcissistic they want their own way they're, they can be aggressive they can bang you on the head and take what they need you know that that's generally speaking the, the 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 stage psychological stage that people in prison often are at what's interesting is they go in and they study churches that are at both those other stages tr- traditional and modern and they go let's see how they do and they watch oh. and both will you know get involved do different things services do restoration stuff do you know teaching them how to interact and then people will maybe even get saved from that what's interesting is less people get saved in the modern group Mm. you know you think all these people are more intentional they're more worldly they understand more of these dynamics i'm sure they've got better success not the case what's then interesting is the people that do get saved you track them back into their church and you go how do they get on the people in the modern churches tends to regress and go back into prison. People in traditional churches tend not to regress and tend to get on pretty well in society on the whole. Obviously, there's a window here, but a higher percentage don't have recidivism. Why? Because we grow naturally through these stages. You're not ready to go from warrior stage to modern. And so I think it's it's very dangerous, and and I, and I, and it, this is a really important thing. When I say this stuff, this is not out of an elitism hierarchy. It's very easy to hear a, a hierarchy and go, "Oh, so you're saying progressive churches are better than um, conventional." Churches. Well, actually, I'm kind of trying to tell you the exact opposite at times. Um, it's it's that everyone is at a stage, and it's just a stage growth. You wouldn't say a teenager is better than a seven year old in the same way that you wouldn't say. Um, that a 50-year-old is better than a teenager. It's not that way. Teenagers, I tell you what, probably run faster than the 50-year-olds. It's just different stages of life with different skills, different pros, different cons, different requirements. Um, And so I think it's really important that we value the church and what it brings to certain people at certain stages, right, in that Um, bell. Interesting. But we recognize there is a moving beyond the church, potentially, for some people.
0: I mean, the only difference between, to take that analogy of the teenager and the 50-year-old, only
2: difference between them is experience. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes experience can can set you back as well. You <laughs> yeah. know, again, even experience can be a pro or a con in certain contexts. Yeah. Um, That's fascinating. It it's really d- depends. Um, so, yeah, so I just think there's, there's an important element where we, we try and educate and, and try to demonize this concept of, of, of deconstruction, seeing it as a spiritual regression, but actually. Seeing it honestly for what it is for most people, which is a spiritual growth and development. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are people that go through deconstruction and then become atheists or agnostic. Um, That happens. But even that, I would be very cautious to call it a spiritual falling away or anything. Um, Some of the people that go through that process actually become in my opinion, a lot more spiritually enlightened than most Christians. Um, And also we don't know what that looks like in the future as well. Uh, I I know plenty of people that go through seasons. of A very common thing in in deconstruction is people go through seasons of of being an atheist. And if we're honest, most of us do that most days. Most of us at some point go through a season of living like there isn't a god whether it's just while you're yelling at your wife or you know you know, not telling you about an appointment you missed or you know it, it, whatever it is like, we're not living as though there is a god right now <laughs> you know we're not living as though we truly believe that jesus lives in us or whatever and so we all have moments and then we have moments where we're praying at night and if we're honest some of us are praying at night and go what am i doing i say is there a god because the last eight prayers didn't get answered and i am feeling like what like We all have those moments, and, and so I would be very cautious about judging someone who has a moment that might last two years, yeah. um, and, and, and even seeing that as potentially a good thing. I've seen plenty of people coming out of that. If you're going to see Christianity as the goal, I've seen plenty of people go through seasons of uh, atheism and come into a, a more rich and full and, and alive Christianity. Um, I try and be very hands-off. I don't prescribe there's a good or bad direction. I just see sure. people being intentional about growing and being authentic about where they're at. At the end of the day, we're just accepting reality, right? If people don't believe in God, well, I can say it's a bad thing, but they don't believe in God, so how about I just accept it and let's move forward with them and see how we can work on their growth and and moving wherever they want to go.
0: I guess for me, the emphasis in in, my ministry is like love is all. So, whether they're atheists or hardcore believers,
3: Jesus never said you choose who you love. You just said love people, you know? Um, and so does
0: someone I'm friends with becoming an atheist change how I should love them? Mm. It shouldn't
3: really. But in in practice it, it often does.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. It really does. I, I, I think that's that's what I'm learning as time goes on. Just loving people where they are, helping them on their journey, having no agenda. I think the biggest thing is not judging. Right, wrong, good, bad, in, out. Losing those terms, losing those concepts has just freed me so much. And and the truth is, we all have them to some degree or another, and I still have them to some degree or another, but we all feel them.
1: Made in His Image is a powerful look at misogyny and its impact upon society. John MacDonald exposes the lies and sexism which have encouraged misogyny since time immemorial with a mix of personal story historical background and sound scholarship john brings a new perspective to the idea that men are the boss and shines a light on the falsehood that the bible promotes this idea his conclusions shatter the myth that women cannot stand alongside men as equals get made in his image in ebook and paperback from sunship.co.uk amazon worldwide and other quality book outlets today not
0: bypass the questions they have but it'll it'll shine some light on some of those questions perhaps not give answers but love is there's something tangible in love that's not tangible in theology or doctrine you know um and it's that tangibility that substance i think
2: that engages people much more than discussions about who's right and who's wrong absolutely people very early on in their deconstruction generally speaking are very black and white still and they're looking for answers so they've, they've yeah. tiptoed into gray and they go oh my god how do i get back into a black you know i want to just get back into the nice rigid i'm right and i've got the answer um and some people do that and that's fine that's great um, but like i said that's generally speaking not a deconstruction because you've now gone back into being very certain again uh-huh. um but people that don't over time as they embrace that third component of deconstruction, the construction that the embracing uncertainty and going i'm not sure i don't know um what's fascinating is they don't care as much about the answers as they think they do i have people come to me every day hundreds of people asking me for answers and i don't give them answers i'm really intentional or i give them confusing answers or i give them multiple answers and um, because what they really need is someone to just listen and to yeah. tell them it's okay what you're going through is normal what you're going through there's thousands of people in your local area going through this um we don't bump into each other because it's not a church for people that don't go to church anymore or you know here's the church for people that aren't sure what god looks like anymore no. uh, you know if you if you stop being a baptist and you're now a, a lutheran you stop going to a baptist church and you find a lutheran church you know but it's very hard when you start going through these kind of stages and you feel very lonely and isolated It's it's, it's really tough sure. especially because a lot of our mechanism in church is to push you away and protect the group Yes. Um, and so it can be very very lonely and isolating even if you're still in the group because you can't be yourself you can't talk about it you can't share what you believe um, so I think what people really need more than anything is just company someone to love them someone to say I'm okay with you going through this journey and I'm here uh, I think yeah
0: an interesting thing you, you said there that that I've noticed with myself too is uh, um, I mean there are some things I will give answers to but I'm much more reluctant to to give someone yeah this is right and this is wrong kind of answers
3: mm.
0: you know and um, because i don't know if, if it can be as black and white as that anymore mm. certainly I, I don't know that i can be. there are some small areas where i think no th- god is good that's the conclusion i've come to yeah he's, he's, he's far nicer than i ever thought he would be and that's a certainty i've got about god but there are other areas where i say well i don't know you know someone was asking me recently you know what what do you think about the end times and how are we in them now and i was like you know what i don't know i don't even think about it right because i just don't know and i'm okay holding that i'll find out when it happens if it happens <laughs> you know yeah. um and if i need to if i need to know in advance i'm sure the holy spirit will tell me absolutely that's that's as far as i can go you know um with those
2: kinds of things anymore no i think i think that's just wisdom I think as in my opinion, and maybe I'm just arrogant in my opinion, I don't know, but I think that's wisdom. I think it's just recognizing that we don't know all the answers. Maybe we're setting people off for failure. And the truth is, as well, and this is a really controversial idea, John, but maybe there's more than one right answer, and maybe it depends on where the person is. Because I look at how God interacts with the Israelites, and I see a growth, I see a change, I see a development. Um, you know, at one point they're killing kids and he comes in and goes, all right, let's move on to like, maybe killing some cows. What do you think about cows? Kill some cows? Yeah, let's kill cows. And then it's like, well, maybe we could just like, run some grain or something instead, you know, like less cows. How about just one cow? lots of grain, <laughs> you know, like right. a pigeon, you know, like, but we're, we're shifting away and, and, and we're transitioning and, and yes. then we go, oh, maybe maybe no sacrifice, you know, Jeremiah's going, hey, God never wanted sacrifice anyway in the first place, it was just concession. Um, and then Jesus comes along and goes, yeah, I'm not big on sacrifice and then we kill him as a sacrifice, um, but you know, like, you see these progress- and now we don't sacrifice things, we don't kill people, we don't kill animals, we don't burn grain, we don't kill Jesus anymore, we probably would if he came back, but you know, <laughs> who knows, who knows. But I think we we have to recognize that God works with people where they are. And so for me, who am I to presume where someone is and what's right for them now? Again, like the the analogy of what I was saying about stages of development, you know, where a certain church that I would go, I wouldn't send my worst enemy to that church. I've been there and that was the worst thing in my life. But if I stop and think about it, was it? Because I went 20 years and I liked it, right? So actually, it wasn't the worst thing that I've ever done. It just became the worst thing I could do today. But actually it was the best thing I could do for 20 years as it formed me and shaped me yes. and grew me into who I became. And so I think we have to recognize that for some people, my idea of the worst I, the Christianity, the worst God, the worst whatever might be actually really formative and helpful for them. Yeah. Um, we might see it long-term as not a healthy view. We might go, God, I hope no one believes this in 100 years and hopefully they don't.
3: Yeah. But
2: right now it might be the best that people can believe and it's a healthy move in the right direction. Um, sure. I think. That that's, is maybe a bit controversial because I know people like there's a right way to do this. There's a right kind of church. There's a right belief. But I'm just not so sure. But isn't,
0: isn't a lot of what we do cultural rather than anything else? You know, when you look at the way things are done here, the way things are done in America or South America or India, or often a lot of the elements of what we do are cultural rather than this is the biblical way to
2: do it. As, as Brits, right, that go to America fairly re- frequently. It's, it's, it's so easy to see. Right. Um, you talk to an American they're like, oh, yeah, no, like God's all about the death penalty. And, and Brits are like, what is happening right now? What?" You, so you think that God would support the death penalty. And I'm not trying to say that as a look at stupid Americans. I'm saying as a British person, you yeah. won't find very many that won't scratch your head and go, I can't conceive where you've got that from. But a lot of Americans, American Christianity is the main support for the death penalty still in the U.S. And very right. few people that aren't Christian support the death penalty um oh, that's interesting. so and i don't know i don't overly know the ins and outs of why i think there's a whole bunch i saw a senator he posted it last week i don't know if you saw this it was floating around it's quite funny but he was saying we need to keep the death penalty in place the truth is without the death penalty jesus our lord and savior would never have become our lord and savior and i'm like are you planning on killing him when he comes back like what why do you need the death penalty still? Oh my goodness. but 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 there's different views that i'm like i can't get my head around that but you yeah. you have and and yes. but we we can we can safely say when we look across different cultures and go, What do you all think about death penalty? You're gonna see very different answers. And you go, Huh, this is much more cultural than it is a, a truism of the Bible. Even True. right, here's you always go really controversial, you can say no. Go on. Abortion. All right yeah. talking controversial. Jews, Jewish people, eighty two percent of Jewish people are pro choice and don't see abortion as wrong. Wow. 82% of Jewish people. Now they're using the same Bible with the same arguments as Christians. Now I'm not saying abortion is right or wrong. You can make your decision on that. I have my beliefs. But my point is, this is a cultural debate because Christians have a very different view than Jewish people on the whole. Um, But again, even then, it depends. You can go into uh, mainline Christianity. It's about 50-50. Um, in the deconstruction community, I've got data on that, it's about 50-50, which is interesting. You go into the evangelical church, and it's about 84% are pro-life, uh, anti-choice, uh, you know, like, whatever whatever language, these yeah, are such yeah. loaded labels, but you know what I mean, these, these two yeah. options. Um now of course it's a really great topic anyway so we should probably be stopping so like you know either or black and white kind of concepts yeah. about these things anyway but my, my point is it's a great example when you look across even when I went to America I was like whoa you are electing a president solely on this one issue I'm like yes. I can't remember this issue coming up for the last 10 years when I voted like right I mean you're in the UK as well like all the different elections we've had where did you read a, a policy on abortion did you, did you see one I don't in the manifestos I just I don't, don't recall, recall seeing you. it um, and so it's not to say it's not important to Christians in the UK and some people may even vote thinking, oh, this might shift a vote a certain way or, or, or it might change the policy on abortion. But it's not the single choice candidate option, you know, like in the same way it is in America. And and it's the same in um, very Catholic countries. It's very, very uh, yes. uh, important. So you look at Ireland, suddenly it becomes hugely important again or South America. It's a very important topic conversation. So it's just to say that these topics, we can use the Bible to inform us. We can use our Christian faith to inform us. We can ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. But we must recognize that culture is playing a part in these conversations sure. because we just yeah. need to look at another culture and go, oh, they're having a different conversation about the same yeah. thing. And that's fascinating to me. Um, and I think we should be, again, quite humble. When we, when we find that, we should go, hmm, maybe well, it's one of, then.
0: It's one of the things I find fascinating because I look at some of the things that in some kind con- Christian Communities in one country. This is this alcohol is evil.
3: Mm, no one yes, should a good drink alcohol.
0: example. If you do, then you're not following God. And then it's almost like you know you go to another country and if you don't
2: drink, you're some sort of you're legalist. Weirdo. You know, you're a weirdo. You know, it's like if our first response is to go, oh well, they're obviously completely wrong and they're just and it's like maybe maybe I'm not saying no even but maybe. But our first response should be to turn inwards and go, w- how am I approaching this and why? And how did this become such a black and white issue? And do I know everything about it? Have I asked that other group why they have come to that conclusion or how they came to that conclusion? Um, I think we're very slow to do that. We're very quick to point the finger, yes. push away, creating us and them so we can keep in our rigid firm because we want to feel safe, secure, yes. and certain. Okay. And it that's part of into that.
0: I'm learning. Much more now. When someone has an almost a polar view to me, to to ask, well, why am I so resistant to their ideas? Mm.
3: You
0: know, it's not it's not because I necessarily think they're wrong, but because perhaps I feel threatened about what I believe. Perhaps what I believe is under threat um, by them s- giving an alternate position. Um, yeah. It's the same when people kind of like might rub me up the wrong way for whatever reason. Um, I'm learning to look at myself and say, what is it in me that's been rubbed up the wrong way? Mm-hmm. And why is it being rubbed yeah. up the wrong way? Not what's wrong with them, although there's loads of things wrong with them, you know, there always is. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to ask, what's wrong? What is it that's wrong with me? Why do they rub me? You know, and I've come to the conclusion that if they're rubbing me up the wrong way, then it's a part of my life that just hasn't experienced enough love.
3: Yeah.
0: Because love doesn't react rudely or impatiently or unkindly so if i'm behaving that way it's because i haven't experienced enough love in that part of my life whether it's to do with belief or just everyday living um mm. so it's it's something i'm learning and um i don't always get it right but no, it's, I an area, too, I imagine. it's an era I'm, I'm realizing like their belief challenges me why does it challenge me yeah it's I mean it's
2: protection mechanisms firing like crazy isn't it and we we start to project our insecurities we we do anything to avoid looking inwardly I mean if we can avoid looking inwardly that is what we're going to go to immediately 99% of the time and so just recognizing that dynamic and you, you know you're talking about oh I don't do it all the time I'm like gosh if you do that 10% you are in the top 10% 10% of humanity you know, like oh. very few people are doing it like massively so like oh. very few are self aware enough to go oh when you piss me off by doing that that's my issue not yours yes. we like to do ego work we don't want like to look at ourselves and go okay what, what what's phil doing here what's this about you know where did where did mommy not love phil somewhere that's kind of getting triggered or whatever it is or yeah. what part of phil needs to feel amazing and validated and cool yeah. that isn't feeling that right now yeah. and is now blaming someone else for not you know giving them a pat on the back when why would they you know like they're living but, their own life but it's
0: interesting that you know I, I would never have said that i i'm deconstructing it's just not mm. a term I understood but i realized that as i've been walking with god as a father And seeing him from a different perspective, it's actually caused me to see everything from a different perspective. You know, my Mm. Christianity, my faith, my relationships. And it's interesting the transformation that's coming in personal relationships because of it. You know, my marriage for for one thing, you know, and friendships and everything else. So it's fascinating for me that it doesn't just impact upon faith belief, but it impacts upon the kind of human being that you're becoming.
2: Mm, absolutely i think uh, to be honest with you and this is this is where rubber hits the road if it's not i question what kind of faith you have Mm -hmm. i mean it might be helpful for you and that's wonderful but i'm like it's not a faith i would want to be involved in if it's not doing the work that changes you that if if, you know it's funny i've I've been doing um some real deep inner work that is not fun and is is really challenging um and um, it's largely informed by kind of more Buddhist thought actually, but um, oh. it's by someone called Byron Katie, who's a really phenomenal um, person at helping us see, oh, what's going on in me that gets upset by you or whatever else. Um, and she's got a bunch of different books. I've been doing that stuff and it is scary to do that stuff. But what's fascinating is my wife said to me the other day, she's like, Phil, you deal with stress and deal with people that are pissing you off or whatever so much better than you ever have. now. My immediate thought to that is like, oh geez, how bad was I? Right? You know? I'm like, gosh, you notice, you must have really been thinking, God, Phil needs to take a chill pill. We're gonna, let's dose him in his coffee or something. Um, but my second thought was, this is working. It's yeah. working that my, 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 my instinct is now maybe 2% of the time to go, hold on, let's look internally. Someone did something the other day and I was just like, I was, it was making me so frustrated. I was getting really upset and, and it was a stupid thing. And I'm like, Phil, what is happening right now? Why on earth are you upset by someone I don't know, telling a story when you wanted to tell your story? Or why yeah. are you upset when this is happening, when you wanted this? And it's really us fighting reality, right? We're, we're wanting life to be a bit different than in what it is. But you can't change what reality is. So the only thing you can change is your response. And it's just been amazing to see that change. Um, so. And that's what I want to see. I think that's the thing. My point being the fact that my wife looked at me and went, oh, this is working. The yeah. thing is, if people aren't looking at you as a Christian and go, oh, this is working. Yeah. If you're the same person you were 30 years ago when you got saved, guess what? It's not working. No, it's not. Right? Um, and I think that's true of a lot of people. It was true of me that maybe I grew bit by bit here and there occasionally. But generally speaking, there wasn't radical change in my life. Um, as I was a conventional black and white evangelical Christian that kind of just ticked all the boxes and went, got by. I wasn't being inf- inwardly transformed, particularly. Well,
0: the, the problem is black and white makes you inflexible, doesn't it? Yeah. And so I think to grow, you need to be able to bend a little bit more. You know, inflexibility will eventually, in a storm, will cause you to break, whereas flexibility will, will allow you to bend and spring yes. and back. You know, yeah. and I think the black and white makes us
2: inflexible uh, and unable to unable to develop. This is interesting because this is a key component um, that occurs during deconstruction as well. As a lot of people do break, they don't. Mm. They don't have a nice gentle band and go. Oh, maybe I'll like, have a look at this. Like I would say, the vast majority of people deconstruct. It's extraordinarily painful, extraordinarily wow. scary, wow. Um, frustrating. But because they're black and white, so they go oh uh the bible is the word of god and i know that because it says it and then that's the truth and that's how i know god yeah. is good and that's how i know there's a jesus and i know that and then suddenly you read a paper and you, go, oh my god the bible is the word of god that's not true like what does that even mean like what's the word of god and oh so we, i'm saying that means you know inerrant but what is inerrancy that's quite a new idea and yeah. you start looking at this and then you go well screw it everything's wrong then because you're black and white right so if that's wrong so then everything's wrong whole world collapses you you don't have a god anymore you don't i don't know what you're doing with your life you, you have so much regret of like what have i been doing the last 30 years sure. and i think it can be a really painful process it's a very grieving process that you lose a lot of things in the process of deconstructing as well a lot of people uh-huh. um you maybe rebuild and, and almost everyone does rebuild at some point but sure. it can be a really intense process
0: wow as I say, as i was saying you know my own journey of <coughs> reshaping my theology and and changing my perspective of Christianity and everything else really came about because I, I began to experience God being a father to me um, back in what, 15 years ago. Now. You know, and it's interesting you said about questions and wanting answers because I had lots of questions. I grew up, my dad was disabled. He died when I was 11 years old, all of that kind of stuff. And I had lots of questions about the goodness of God because of that. I grew up in the Catholic church and <coughs> Jesus is nice and all of the rest of it. And But when I heard him call me son, I stopped looking for answers. Mm. He never answered my questions, but they just became the questions became irrelevant as I began to find a connection with who I am in regards to who God is. Yeah, Um, I'd never heard the term deconstruction, but essentially, for the last fifteen years, that's the process I've been going through and experiencing. And I think I listened to your podcast. By the way, folks, if you're interested, Phil has a podcast, The Phil Drysdale Show. Have a search for it on any of the podcast platforms. And you can hear lots more uh, of this experience of deconstructing with people mm-hmm. that Phil interviews and things that Phil is, is saying. But, it, but I listened to, to one with Martin Fell,
3: Okay, yeah, yeah. And
0: Martin said that he'd noticed that those who experience father's love have less of a struggle deconstructing the those who haven't had that experience I mean do you have any thoughts on that is that something that you've thought about yourself?
2: I think generally speaking I mean there's the whole um, truism that you know it's hard to argue a man out of his experience right and so I think a lot of people's faith is quite intellectual it is whatever it is Um, but once people have these kind of profound experiences so something I'll, I'll share in a parallel that I think is really interesting that I have a bit more data on is that People that grew up in charismatic or Pentecostal churches. So remember I was saying that a lot of the time when people um, deconstruct, they go through um, seasons of agnosticism going, I don't even know what there is, I'm not really sure what I believe, or even atheism going, I believe nothing. And some of them can come out the other side um, and others just stay in that place. A lot of people come out the other side into some kind of spirituality, generally speaking. Um, What's interesting is if you look at people that are charismatic or Pentecostal, very very few of them like almost none go through atheism they might go through a season of narcissism going i don't really know but sure. they very rarely go there's nothing in this universe it's just all material reductionist this 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 yeah. why because they've seen miraculous things they can't explain and it's a very tangible experience for them yeah. now some of that's anecdotal it's not all hard data but sure. um there is data there um that i'm kind of like extrapolating and we're just building more and more as time goes on hopefully uh, we'll get more clear-cut data on that but i think it points to the same sort of thing uh-huh. why would someone with a, a profound impact with a with a divine being that they see as father that loves them that accepts them as they are that has shown them how loved they are and how they can love others and how they can connect with the divine in a beautiful and safe way without fear without judgment um it's not likely to be something that you let go quickly of yeah. you might let go of a lot of other things um but having that bedrock you know i yeah. often talk about you know you start deconstructing a house you maybe inherit a house from your grandma right and this is you go to the same church your family's always gone to right so you inherit their house when they die and you look around and you're like good god this place is a tip and so you start gutting it all out and you get rid of all the furniture and the, you know the couch has got like you know bits falling yeah. apart and eaten away, and and you go, oh, I like that lamp though, so you keep the lamp, and you maybe roll up a rug and go oh, if I take that to the dry cleaners, that'll be nice and you're gutting it all out, and as you gut it out, you're like good God, the floors are all rotten we're going to have to replace the floorboards, and that wall's a mess and and so you start like taking bits pieces and you start ripping up the floor and doing and you go actually i'm gonna take that wall out so you get an expert in to have a look and go "Uh, structural you're gonna have to do something bigger than that and and then as he's like do you know you've got a major issue and the the whole thing's rotten to bits and i think it's actually because it's on uneven flat foundations and you're oh god and so it's mostly you're gonna have to tear the whole thing down so you tear the whole house down, and now you're living in a tent, right? And if people are aware, this is, this is deconstruction, right? You start picking and, and taking a little bit here and a little bit, and before you know it, you're, like, you're living in a tent with your lamp and your rug, right? And the guy is there chipping away at your foundations, right? And, and they might go, you know what? A couple of these foundations are pretty good. Yeah. Um, now i know this isn't how building a house works and you don't get bit. to do that yeah. um, but he's like you know what yeah that works and that works and that works it's all level it's solid it's good but a couple of these are rotten to the core so maybe your absolute foundation was that the bible is inerrant, and it's like well you have a big problem if that falls apart and the whole house is built on it the whole house is in a big big uh, stage of danger you know oh. you're in big trouble you need to get this house down and get that change you need to work on the foundation and I think what you have with people that go through is profound experiences like the Father's love, profound experiences like being healed of an incurable disease or something like that, is they've got some foundations um, or they've got, that's their rug and their lamp that they're clutching to in the tent sure. and they go, God, I have no idea what I believe anymore and I don't know if church is for me and I don't know what that means and I'm not even sure what that means about substitutionary atonement or uh, you know, uh, eternal conscious torment versus annihilation. So I don't know these terms, but I really like my lamp and my rug and i know that you're good that's me and you're living in your tent and you're shivering and a bit afraid but you go i'm safe because i've got my comfort things the things i know and we're going to rebuild the house and once i've rebuilt it i've got it all nice i'm gonna lay out this rug and the lamp and go we did it (laughs) you know (laughs) um and and i think that is very much what a lot of people go through um so i think people that have these experiences of ours love have these amazing bedrocks and probably more substantial than a rug or a lamp right they're 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 the thing that that you can really stand on go oh gosh i feel safe i feel like i've got something here um that i can really hold on to Um, and that you build whatever you're building around that's okay um my caution would be, you may end up deconstructing that. Who knows? You know, I, I think <laughs> yeah, this yeah. Is, I, I think people, people, I had a message yesterday so was saying, Phil, why should I start deconstructing? I was like, don't do that. Jeez, if your house is staying upright and you're kind of happy in it, don't start picking at it. Like, just leave it be. Um, and so people think that I've got this big agenda to cause people to have these crises of faith and ruin their lives. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm actively trying to avoid that for people. But once people's lives start coming down, I'm happy to come on site and go, "Hey, True. don't panic. Let's get your yeah. tent set up. You know, or whatever. Um, I'll sit in your tent with you for a while." Um, but well, I think, like you myself, don't just choose to do these things. Like myself, I, I didn't.
0: The... I didn't decide that I was going to change the things that I believed. I wasn't. I didn't sit down and think, "Okay, I'm going to look at this and this and this," and because I want to change it. That's not what happened. Yeah, my experience of God caused me to examine everything around me because and i think this is the difference some of us based our christianity on what we believe and others upon what we've experienced if i'm honest i had experienced things prior to experiencing god as a a father but a lot of what i believed was based on on my intellectual ability yeah Yeah. um it wasn't based upon my experience of god being that you know i projected what i believed onto who i thought god was yeah whereas now this experience of god is causing me to project what i've experienced onto what i have believed and realizing that in the light of the experience a lot of what i believe doesn't stand up
2: no absolutely and i think that's what a lot of people deconstruct that's it's an experience that leads them into this even yeah. so maybe they have a kid and they suddenly realize i would never treat my kid like that sure you know, what I mean, and in a way, they suddenly understand the concept of father and the, and yeah. the children in, in ways that they never had before. Or um, maybe a loved one comes out as gay and they go, of course, God loves you. Of course I can. You say you have a relationship with God. I can see that in your life. Like, I, I don't believe that that's not possible, but everything in me believes intellectually it's not possible so i need to go back to the drawing board and i have to evaluate that mm. and so these profound experiences that you know anyone has had a loved one go through something very profound like that um it's pushed us in ways even if we didn't change maybe we didn't maybe we, we chucked them out i don't know um, but it's pushed us to at least evaluate it's pushed us to think sure. it's, it's definitely given us a few uh you know fitful awake nights uh you know where we didn't sleep very well um and i think it's being allowing yourself to be led by experience to some degree is, is a very good thing i think it can be a very negative thing at times as well sure. um, i think it can hold us back and, and we've had plenty of negative experiences that shape us and um and hold us back as well so i, I think you know there, there's always yeah, going to be that's some why point I mean, of being cautious of it <laughs> yeah. yeah well exactly and that's no, why i frequently say go get therapy, therapy. <laughs>
0: and- you know, when I was a pastor I would counsel people, but now I realize that the only thing I was qualified was perhaps some spiritual advice.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I should never have been counseling people in any other area. Yeah. And I mean eventually I did realise that and I began sending people to professionals yeah. for therapy. But
3: um when I think about me trying to do professional work in an area that I was totally unqualified for, I'd
0: shudder to think um, it could it's, have been so it's much really common it's in the tradition?
2: church yeah. really common there's this there's yeah. this kind of carte blanche if, if as, as a pastor you are the person that has all the answers and yeah. it's a very stressful and horrible thing to to live with as well i'm sure at times you were in the middle of like trying to give someone therapy thinking god i don't know like who am i to give these answers
0: it's <laughs> even worse when you believe that you do have all the answers cool. yeah.
2: That, yeah that
0: is a scary scary place to be you know
2: no it's, it's tough and especially when when we aren't qualified you know we don't we're not mental health professionals and, and a lot of the church and what it believes is actually quite detrimental to getting yeah. healthy uh it, when, when you've got some mental health issues like the church can be very much uh, um, oh that's a demon or buck up by, by your bootstraps or any of these kind of things which actually they can that can work occasionally i, I i've seen it work um but it's occasional. <laughs> A lot but of times it's very damaging. Potentially. But
0: also, I mean, certainly, I don't know what it's like now, but for many, many years, um, secular therapists were considered with great suspicion by the church. Yeah. You know, like, they're godless, they're this, they're that. You know, yeah. um, and we never really appreciated the, the professionalism and oh, actually the, the deep, concern that a lot of therapists have for their clients and patients for many of them there really was a, a, a great altruism in their their desire to help other people Absolutely. to come through yeah. their issues and, and come out the other side you know?
3: yeah
2: well i think unfortunately there's a, a big overlap in those worlds where a lot of people that end up in therapy have been really um a lot of their issues stem from really unhealthy beliefs that the church is establishing in them. Yeah. And, and that's a really painful truth, but it's something we have to face as, as Christians. We cause a lot of people to need to go through therapy. Um, yeah. and, and so the church as a self-defense mechanism needs to demonize on some level um, therapy. And, and I think it is less and less. It's still very prevalent in certain parts of the world and in certain uh-huh. movements. Um, in the same way that some movements are fringe enough that they'll demonize you going to the doctor. 'cause you should be healed. Yes, you know, I mean yes. that's pretty fringe these days, but you know, it, it's a it's a less extreme version of that. But unfortunately, during that process, a lot of people found out, gosh, some of the things my church is teaching me are the reason I'm traumatically, you know, um having these terrible experiences or I'm anxious or I'm whatever, stressed. Yeah. Um, and so they have to then face this reality where I go to church every Sunday and they tell me, no, that's something you have to believe or you're gonna go to hell. And I go to therapy on a Tuesday, and he's saying, to be honest with you, that's why you're living in hell today, um, is because you believe that. And you're left with this impossible choice between these two worlds. But yeah. what happens is the reason the church dislike that so much is that a lot of people will then go, okay, if that's what it needs to move towards getting healthy, maybe, I th- again, very black and white, but maybe I throw the whole thing out.
0: But um, Isn't it the advice, advice that a lot of pastors would give people, if you're in an unhealthy relationship, get away from that person
2: get away from that unhealthy influence hopefully no and i i i've frequently i work with people quite often that needs therapy and, and different things i'm like you are constantly going go get therapy go get therapy go get therapy i've got like lists of people that i recommend or movements but what i found is even um, professional therapists that are by law held to ethical standards to not allow their opinions and whatever has come in that still happens with christians at times yes. And i've seen christian therapists whose goal is you two need to stay together because that's the christian goal and the pastor when the pastor's playing therapist that happens all the time and that's yeah. i have seen the amount of people i've had honestly it breaks my heart thinking about but i've i've spoke to over the years hundreds of people that have been convinced to remain in abusive relationships yeah. by their pastor because you should stay with that that's what god wants Right. horrible thing to face well god wants me to be continually yeah. abused so yeah. who do i who do i value my, myself or god or is such a horrible the
0: thing. whole submit to your husband yeah. thing and all of that isn't it uh,
2: yeah. yeah you can't condone being someone in that situation yeah um i think our, our our willingness to sacrifice people on the altar of whatever we think is right oh i well, we don't want someone to have a divorce. Like, who is it to what is it to you if that person gets divorced if they're healthy and happy and not being abused surely surely you can say that's a good thing but apparently it's, it's not so black and white uh, uh, in some of these areas um, but yes yeah, so i've seen that problem come in a lot with um it's it's a it's a it's a sad place where I don't think anyone wins. Like you said, you know, as a pastor, I don't even think you win because you're placed in these impossible situations, and everyone expects you to have answers. And then, nice. then you start feeling you do have the answers, Then you're like, you know, like a little mini god, and that can do all kinds of terrible things to you as well. And it's just it's not a it's not a good system, you know. Um, and yet again, it works for some people. It helps some yeah. people. Um, some people go into that situation needing that i don't know some people will never go to a therapist but will speak to their pastor about it like so that's maybe a good helpful thing in some situations so i'm trying not to be so black and white in life i'm trying to recognize you know what i'm sure that you sat down and and gave therapy to a lot of people and it was a really positive and helpful experience yeah you know what i mean i think Um, god was
0: very gracious in it and kept me from damaging people more than i I could have
2: you know well i'm sure as well you were just a wise great decent guy that could help people as well you know I mean, there's a whole mix of that but uh shucks um, yeah, I know,
0: right? don't do that i'm scottish i, I can't take compliments <laughs> can't take it i know you
2: have to go back go through to the bathroom look in the mirror and go you're an idiot <laughs> after this podcast <laughs> oh well,
0: that's our funny. time's drawn close to an end but i just want to ask you finally phil like what impact has all of this had upon you and how you view god how you view yourself,
3: mm. you, you know, because
0: yeah. obviously, obviously we're talking about external things. About but how
2: does it come to impact upon how Phil thinks of himself? Yeah, well, I think like like my wife was saying, it's had radical changes on me. The the freedom to do the work without um, the constraints of it has to be in this box and look like this and be like this. And it has to. Um, adhere to these rules or these regulations and in the process god needs to look like this and he has to do this and he can't do that like letting go of all of that has given me freedom to go oh you know something i i've struggled with in my life is a lot of anxiety a lot of stress um not being able to be present i always live in the future Mm. um i don't live in the past too much to be honest You maybe if i cut someone off and i get a bit upset i'll live in the past for 20 minutes or whatever but generally speaking I, i live in the future and it makes me very anxious and worried a lot of time. And the freedom to go. Do you know who's not good at living in the present, John? Christians are rubbish at it. We have no desire to live in the present. We live in the future and we live in the past. We we sit and think about our sin all the time and make right about it. And then we sit and look at the future and wait for Jesus to come. Wait for Jesus. Jesus. Wait for the coming revival. When we're finally going to be whatever, the next revival. We don't live in the present. You know who lives in the present? Eastern philosophical religions—they do the present really well. They've spent the last five thousand years sitting on the top of mountains, going, "All right, I'm just going to sit here and just be with myself, and there's nothing here." Mm-hmm. And whether you agree with their their religious uh, associations and different things, I'm like, they probably have a lot to say about how to just be still and be present. Well, that's what that mean, I'm not hearing sure from a pastor it? or someone else. No. Sorry, I missed that. Sorry. Sorry, sorry.
0: That—that's what meditation's all about, isn't it? Just absolutely now. focus being present
2: Uh not not adding anything to now not adding a story not thinking about later not thinking about the past but just being i'm just here i'm breathing oh there's you know a table here i can touch it i can feel it but i'm I'm aware that i'm touching and feeling it i'm not just absent-mindedly touching in the table as i'm thinking about next week when i've got that important meeting and i need that at times to become a little bit less worried and anxious about the future because i live in the future and and so the freedom to go I'm going to read some books written by people that are Eastern, uh, or or um, people in the West that have brought it to my language that aren't Christian and they're talking about right. Buddhist uh, practices and how to become more present and how to meditate well because Christians don't talk about that much there is actually quite a bit more these days uh, there's a lot of contemplative prayer and well, i guess uh, and mind- the whole mindfulness like, thing mindfulness christian mindfulness a, is a huge thing
0: i know there's a christian mindfulness movement kind of thing you know? yeah
2: there's apps and all sorts of stuff so it, it, it's there but at the time i didn't know about any of this yeah. and i was like yeah. wow i'm free to like you know go back 20 years and i would not have been free to go oh what how could the, a buddhist teach me about being present yeah and so i think it's just things like that just suddenly having freedom and not going and just because i listen to buddhists about being present i have to accept all their other stuff and there's a lot of other stuff that's really good in buddhism just like there's lots of good stuff in lots of stuff right it's very few things that you can't find something good in um and so but i'm not i'm not just because i listen to this one person about one area i'm not suddenly having to accept their entire world the system it doesn't mean
0: you're becoming a buddhist just, or a hindu yeah, I just or go,
2: how can you help me how can you serve me how can i serve you but just having that freedom to engage with those things. And so I think for me, I've had a lot less of a cling to this is what God looks like. This is what my life looks like. This is who I am. This is, I just be a bit more open and go, you know what? I'm going to enjoy what is right now. I'm not going to pretend what, that it's anything other than what is. Yeah. And we'll take each day as it comes. And I'll walk on this journey, knowing that there is um, a divine being behind all of this. I have I fully believe that. And, and, and Undergirding all of this and guiding all of this, I think we're moving very intentionally. Humanity is moving in a direction of more love and inclusivity and yes, acceptance. Definitely. Um, and 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 I'm excited by that, and I love it. But I'm just gonna go on the journey with it. I, I don't feel that I need to label it in certain ways. I don't feel I need to label myself. I don't. I don't do that stuff. You know. I feel like a lot more, and it's giving me a lot more freedom to help people wherever they are as well, without judging. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just enjoying life a lot. Oh.
3: Wow, that's a, a great a great philo- not philosophy because it's not a philosophy; it's a lifestyle, isn't it?
2: Um, it's just a mix of oh, it's philosophy, it's theology, it's but it's yeah, like you said, it's just a a, a socially constructed and um, internally constructed way of seeing the world, you know, it's sort of al- which ultimately
0: leads into a lifestyle. Yeah, which which is, you see, th- this is the thing I find interesting, Phil because that's my experiences, all of this deconstruction, whatever, you know, it's leading me into a lifestyle that is radically different from what I lived before, but it's leading me into the lifestyle that I thought Christianity should lead me into in the old way that I lived it. And do you know what? It didn't. No. The the black and white didn't lead me into the lifestyle that I wanted to live, you know, being like Jesus or whatever you want
3: to call it, but living this way is leading me into that lifestyle, and yeah. and to use that, that Christian language, I'm, a, I'm much more Christ-like now than I would have been
0: under those stricter, rigid, inflexible disciplines.
2: Yeah, you know? absolutely. I've met a lot of people that are very Christ-like, much more than most people I've ever met in the church, and they're not Christian. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's kind of messing with my concepts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's very yes. good to
0: have your conversation. I I came to the conclusion really that all truth is God's truth.
3: Mm.
0: You know, yeah, there are some sources you, you think, well I don't know if I can trust that. But I, you know, I've I've been prophesied to by a Buddhist and I know it wasn't the devil or whatever yeah, yeah. you call it. I know it was the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I was just like he didn't know what he was saying or what he was doing. He was just yeah. in conversation with me. And I was just like, Whoa. And it really freaked me out for weeks and weeks and yeah. weeks. I was like, "Oh, that can't that can have been God because he
2: was a Buddhist. God right. can't
0: have said that through him."
2: You know, that's funny. What what religion was Balaam's ass? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. We're so we're so funny with these things, and then we oh, look at the Bible yeah, and we yeah. believe that a donkey set someone straight. You know, it's like, well, like, I I'm true. sure that guy wasn't a Jew. <laughs> you know, like did you check the donkey to see if it was circumcised and yeah, observed all the laws and
0: so so for me that. Those, I just, just came to this place where I think all truth is God's truth.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, you see that in, in Acts chapter 17 when Paul quotes um, Epimenides and Aratus in Acts chapter 17. And he's, he's declaring that their words, they wrote poems about Zeus. And he's mm-hmm. saying, no, th- this is actually the truth about one God. true God.
3: Yeah.
0: But they came through non-Christians which we would Absolutely. traditionally say, you can't touch
3: that. It can't be trusted. But Paul takes it and says, hey, this is truth regardless of who it came from. Yeah, And that, yeah.
2: that just... Which opens out. up the question, which is actually tra- uh, traditional. You just said traditionally, we wouldn't let that happen. It's like, well, which is more traditional? Paul oh, or yeah, my church has yeah. been around a couple hundred years, you know? Yeah. And that's the funny thing is what we consider traditional. I think this is a problem with language is we use this to subvert people. We talk about traditional, so this is the way it's always been yeah. most things we say are traditional are quite modern and, and that's the fascinating thing and actually if you go far enough back there's lots of different views <laughs> it right. was much more gray and ambiguous well that's why um, they had all of these councils wasn't it because of all yeah. of these contesting trying views. to make it a bit more black and white yeah. and we're, we're thankful for that and it, we probably suffered for it as well In, in yeah. the same. i
0: think i think with many things it's, it's been a mixed blessing mm. <laughs> Well, absolutely. Phil, it's been great to, to to chat with you. I've absolutely loved it. Thank you this. so much. Um, yeah, me too. I, I, I always I enjoy to have you, with, you on my show. So. I always enjoy hanging out with you and and chatting with you, whether it's doing this stuff or having a coffee or whatever. Yeah. Uh, my friend, I've absolutely loved our time together. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Phil, how do people get in touch with you if they want to? these days more questions
2: (laughs) best best place is instagram i'm very active on instagram i talk with people day in day out on instagram it's just phil dry just my name um you'll find me there um everything else that i do you'll find links through that as well i am on facebook i check it once every couple of days i don't really do anything just kind of what i post on instagram gets posted over there and only parts of it most of it i'm, I'm doing probably about 20 30 percent of what i do on instagram gets makes it to facebook <laughs> um, just because it's not the same platform sure um, so i'm so much more active on that um i've got my my show which you can find on youtube or on podcast phil dreisel show i interview people that are going through these stages people of all kinds of different backgrounds people that have ended up in all kinds of different places and experts in these areas people that talk about grief of deconstruction people that are Um, counselors therapists people that are experts in religious trauma and so some really interesting conversations Um, if people are going through deconstruction they feel really lonely in this process as well Um, it really can be very lonely there is a website called the deconstruction network that i set up which is it's not a place where you're going to find people that believe the same as you that the the black and white is over i'm afraid Um, it's a place for the gray but it is a place where basically you can sign up and you'll find people in your local area that have at least come out of that black and white Christian world and into something new. And you'll find people that are agnostic, atheist, Christian, progressive Christian, confused Christian, whatever it might be, you'll find people that have gone into other religions, maybe gone into something like Buddhism or something like that. So it's it's very mixed, but they all have that that path. Um, We're all on the same path of coming out of something that's black and white and limited about God and into something new. Um, And so that can be a great resource. It's completely free. Everything I do is free. so the deconstructionnetwork.com is a great resource for that. And that's the, the vehicle through which we do a lot of our research as well. So if you want to be involved in the research that we do, you can check that out as well.
0: Well, I, I've signed up to the, the deconstruction network a, a while ago. Um, just because of that, I, I, I'm fascinated by the research. Um, yeah. What it can tell us. I, I need to put some more public.
2: stuff out. We're, we're, we're on the cusp of putting some stuff out. I'm talking with my, the head of research guy um, mm-hmm. on Saturday. So hopefully. We're, well, there you are, Phil. No, thank
0: you. Um, I would really encourage you to, to to follow Phil on Instagram, check out the podcast on the Phil Drysdale Show on YouTube or whatever podcast platform you use. He's a very interesting guy, very knowledgeable and compassionate, and interested and interesting guy. So I would encourage you to to follow him, check out what he's got to say, and enjoy.